And at the very, very deepest level, in Buddhism we call it bodhicitta, this kind of spiritual longing, this spirit of awakening the mind to its true potential, bodhicitta, the big and sometimes we don't even notice. The old man check and he'd see the lines of that. He caught the fish and then it's folding and folding and folding. And there's a kind of spirit which I find in some of our uh, the traditional kind of great words. Uh, refers to this in a bit, a little bit. And first of all, for Mary Oliver, listen, are you breathing? just a little and calling it life. So in other words, there's a lot more. And then from Walt Whitman, have you reckoned a thousand acres much? Have you reckoned the earth much? Sutra of the Buddha, uh, which was given in the Gosinga Sala wood, wood like forest. He asked the question of the top disciples Can you illuminate the Kosinga Sala tree now, wood? No, can you illuminate the Kosinga Sala tree, wood? And I was trying to think of what does that mean? Shine a light. But then I began to think. It's about all of, the, all of our, our necks of the woods. And can we really see them clearly? So he asks all the disciples, and they all give an answer. And I'm going to talk about that next week. But I'm just right now kind of bringing me, can you, can you, are you able to really make sense of this life in the multi-universe, which is just carrying us through all kinds of different worlds. Yeah. And then Leonard Cohen, my favorite. Mm -hmm. yeah. Ring the bell that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So no matter crack or crack, we have such potential, all of us. And in a sense, when every time we do the three refuges, we get reminded of that. It's what we're all about, how we're fortunate to have be alive, be, have come across Buddhism and the teachings. Okay, so a little bit of a wagging my finger. <laughs> now let's look at uh, a couple of stories. 
One of them is the story that we always tell one way or another at peace camp. We've just finished a, a most precious peace camp last week. And we always tell this story at peace camp. And I'm going to just say a bit of it and read a bit of it. It is that the bhikkhus were gathered uh, at one of the various uh, monastery parks, and uh, there got to be a dispute between the sutra monk and the vinaya monk. Vinaya was the rule keeper, and the sutra is the scripture keeper. And the whole monastery got divided, one defending the sutra master, the other defending the vinaya monk. And it went on and on. And word got of it to the Buddha, so he turned up and said, you know, you must listen to each other. This is not good. Let's get this. They said, oh, Buddha, don't worry. We'll solve it. You don't need to be here. So he left. <laughs> he came back because it continued altogether three times. And finally, he just said, I'm out of here. My word. He just felt that there was not an ability for people to really listen. And so he left and he traveled and he saw, he went to a place where a hermit monk lived. His name was Bagu. And um, he stayed with him for a couple of days and he remarked as he left, it's so pleasant to be alone. It's so difficult to be around other people sometimes. <laughs> and he went on and he found the gate of another small forest and monastery where three monks were practicing, some of his senior disciples, uh, Anuruddha, Kambaila, and uh, Nanda. And um, he lived with them uh, for almost a month. And I'd like to read Thich Nhat Hanh's description of that life together. So he was greeted. Uh, by Anuruddha uh, at the gate. And Anuruddha led the Buddha into the forest where he lived with two other bhikkhus, Nandaya and Kimbala. They were very happy to see the Buddha. Nandaya took the Buddha's bowl and Kimbala took his outer robe. They cleared a place for him to sit by a thicket of gold bamboo. They brought a towel and wash basin. The three bhikkhus joined their palms and bowed to the Buddha. The Buddha asked them uh, to be seated, and he asked, are you content here? How is your practice going? Do you encounter any difficulties in begging or sharing the teaching in this region? Anuruddha answered, Lord, we are very content here. It is calm and peaceful. We receive ample food offerings and are able to share the Dharma. We are all making progress in our practice. The Buddha asked, and you can see why he asked this particular question, do you live in harmony with one another? He's been baffled by that situation that he left behind. Anuruddha said, Lord, we care deeply for each other. We live in harmony like milk and honey. I consider living with Nandaya and Kimbala a great blessing. I treasure their friendship. 
Before I ask or do anything, whether they are present or not, I stop and ask myself what their reaction would be. Would my words or actions disappoint my brothers in any way? If I feel any doubts, I refrain from the words or actions intended. A Lord, although we are three persons, we are also one. The Buddha nodded his approval. He looked at the other bhikkhus. Kimbala said, Anuruddha speaks the truth. We live in harmony and care deeply for each other. Nandaya added, we share all things from our food to our insight and experience. The Buddha praised them. Excellent, I'm most pleased to see how you live in harmony. The Sangha is only a true Sangha when such harmony exists. You have experienced real awakening and that is why you have realized such harmony. The Buddha spent one month with the three bhikkhus. He observed how they went begging every morning after meditation. Whichever bhikkhu returned first from begging always prepared a place for the others to sit, gathered water for washing, and set out an empty bowl. Before he ate anything himself, he would place some of his food into the empty bowl in case one of his brothers had not received any food. After that, after they all had after they had all finished eating, they placed any leftover food on the ground or in the stream, careful not to harm any creatures that lived there. Then they washed their bowls together. Whoever saw that the toilet needed scrubbing did it at once. They joined together to do any task that required more than one person. They sat down regularly to share insights and experiences. Before the Buddha left the three bhikkhus, he spoke to them. Bhikkhus, the very nature of a sangha is harmony. I believe harmony can be realized by following these principles. And it was here that he came up with, with what are called the six harmonies. And I'll give you the straight version and then I'll give you the camp version, okay? So number one, and try to think about this and, and in order to memorize it, because I don't think these apply just to monasteries or to temples, but in every home and, and every place. Number one, sharing a common space, such as a forest or home. Number two, sharing the essentials of daily life together. Number three, observing the precepts which are embodied by the expression not to harm, but to cherish all life. Number four, using only words that contribute to harmony, avoiding all words that can cause the community to break. Five, sharing insights and understanding together. Six, respecting others' viewpoints and not forcing another to follow your own viewpoint. Yeah, so that's six, I think. Got them all. So the camp version. It, we remember sometimes when we do something with the body. So sharing a common space. So it's this sharing a common space. So please do, because I don't want you to just be a listener with your head, but also to get your body in the process. So sharing a common space, please repeat. Sharing a common space, 
Number two, sharing the essentials of daily living. So we're sweeping. Sharing the essentials of daily living. And that's uh, sweeping, cleaning, and keeping our butt clean. <laughs> Number three, observing the precepts together. Observing the precepts together. Not to harm. Not, not to harm, harm, but to cherish all life. But to but cherish, cherish all life. Number four, using only words that contribute to harmony, avoiding all words that can cause the community to break. So speaking, speaking, speaking from the heart. From the heart. heart. Yep. And number five, sharing insights and understanding together. Sharing insights and understanding together. Aha! Aha! <laughs> and number six, respecting others' viewpoints and not forcing another to follow your own viewpoint. Respecting others' viewpoints and not forcing another to follow your own Deep listening. Deep listening. So those are the six harmonies that we try to keep throughout uh, peace camp, and I uh, put them in uh, the e-bulletin so that you might want to, you know, make a copy and put them on your refrigerator or on the inside of your bathroom door so that you can see them in some regular way. And remember the, 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 the actions, the embodiment, yes. Okay, so that's the first story to catch you up with peace camp. And uh, now is just another story to have, it has some relationship with it, but maybe not at all, in your view. It's about our new project, the Generations Project, and a story with its, uh, it begins at the beginning of its history, near the time when we actually purchased that building in 1999. Okay, so let's see what I can remember. All right. So it just so happens that uh, I was cleaning the upstairs of the temple and in fact the room I'm living in now because one Cho, who happens to be here today, had been a resident and had gone to our Chicago temple. And she was helping to um, uh, take care of that temple, taking some leadership there. And I think there was a new resident coming in so, and lots of, it, perhaps it had been empty a little bit between the time Wencho had left and I was cleaning it because somebody was coming. So I was going all around the room and I happened to um, look under the sink to get some cleaning supplies for the toilet, etc. And there was this hat. And it was really a soft hat. It was woven, but the main colors were kind of mauve and there was a silver thread through. And because there was a mirror right there, I put the hat right on my head and thought I looked pretty good. <laughs> no? And because I had been um, always, you know, we had yard sales here for years and decades. And so most of my clothes and most of everything we had at the temple came out of these yard sales. And I had been going around wearing this hat that I got from the yard sale. And I remembered a piece of, it was just sort of a dull color. And there's this piece of like wool coming out one side. And 
it was the time of year for this is happening. It was around um, in January kind of a time. And I thought, well, I don't know how this hat got here. I don't know whose hat this is, but I think I'm going to uh, put my old hat in the yard sale stuff, and I'm going to start wearing this hat. Okay, so that was that. The days went by, and my daughter, my older daughter, who was living with her dad, no, no, I th or else she was going to school somewhere else, came to visit her friend, who her best friend lived there, Ruth, uh, before. And um, she phoned me, and she said, Mom, I'm going to be in town. I'm visiting Ruth. Why don't you come over Thursday night? Thursday night was the night of the meditation course, which I taught for many decades. And um, so I said, okay, I'll come over right after. So after the course, which was in that building then, because we didn't have this one, um, I went downstairs, got my boots on, got my coat on, put on the hat, and went out the back door and out the driveway, and then down the sidewalk and up the stairs of the hermitage, which we called it, knock, knock, knock. And uh, the mother of Ruth, uh, owner of the building, opened the door. And before I could even think, she said, you've got my hat. <laughs> and she just <laughs> reached and pulled it off my head. And oh my gosh, I was really angry. This <laughs> is an instant angry action. And I said to her, I found it underneath the sink, up in the temple on the top floor. How could it be yours? She said, I don't know how it, go it got there, but I know it's my hat. <laughs> so, okay. So there I was in her house, and I went up the stairs to where my daughter was with her friend. They were watching a movie, and I don't know if you've watched The Saint, but it's, a, it's an old movie, and it's about somebody who goes through all these disguises, you know, changes mm -hmm. from one to the next to the next to the next, and looks a little different in each, and has quite an interesting life. And all I could think about was that darn lady, she's taken away one of my disguises, you know? <laughs> this is kind of the, the only hat I really ever loved. <laughs> yeah, you know, when things like that happen, it becomes, oh, this is terrible kind of thing. And so I went down back after the movie, and I continued with life. And I reminisced about the woman next door who'd taken my hat and also was <laughs> extremely irritating all the time because we did not have a fence on the property line. And for some reason, we were always weeding her weeds, which were important herbal plants for her. And so she would phone up, or she would come over and complain all the time. So it made the whole story, me in opposition to this woman, you know, really even more dramatic. So then she decided to sell her house. And so one of our members, who was an architect, had said, if any of the buildings nearby come up for sale, you should get them, Haji, because the we, as the temple grows, they'll be needed. So not really wanting to, but not having a choice, I again knocked at her door and said that, yes, could we be interested? 
And that was around July. So through the summer months and through the fall, we negotiated back and forth. And it so happened that in December, I was to do the final signing and give the down payment. So I went over there <coughs> and um, knocked on the door. And she opened the door and she said, please come in, I want to, you to have some tea. And I'm always suspicious <coughs> of the woman, you know. I, I, I apologize for not having a better attitude about this. Because it just seemed to go on and on. And uh, so she, I went in and sat at her table and, and uh, she gave me this really lucky tasting tea, but she said it was really very good for me. Yeah. Okay. And so we signed the um, documents and I gave her the check you know, for the down payment. And she said to me, and my name was, I forget what my name was, but I think it was Suka. She said, it was near Christmas, she said, Suka, I have a present for you. And I said, oh, you don't need to give me any present. I mean, we've never had given presents. And oh, no, mother, I have a present for you. And so she went out of the room and I was left with my tea wondering what was happening next and she came and then she came up behind me because she'd gone that way and I was sitting that way and what do you know she put the hat on my head and I said what you I thought this was your hat you really wanted it she said I know but I saw that you really liked it and I couldn't give it to you then, but I'd like to give it to you now. <laughs> Heart melting. <laughs> so then I went down the stairs, back down the sidewalk, in the driveway, in the back door, went in the bathroom with the hat on and looked at it and said, what came to me is, wow, this isn't as nice as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I was not able to illuminate the Bosinga cell forest very well, so to speak. You know, to, to, so I really got caught in the situation of being so grasping after something that had gained perspective after a few months, and I could be more real with it. The reason I remember this story is that. Um, from the room where I'm now staying, one shows old room. I can see everything going on over next door with all the changes and the machinery tearing down the building and trees and now putting in thermal, uh, geothermal. And I saw these people walking around on the lot. A woman, two women, children. So I went down too and what do you know, it's her. You know, after 20 years, she stood back to look. And we greeted each other like old friends. <laughs> I completely forgot, and I think she forgot all about us always meeting her we, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just a really happy time to see her daughter, my daughter's old best friend, and to meet her kids and to walk around and look at the black cohash plant that's so precious. and. Just know that uh, impermanence surrounds us and that there's always uh, room to get better. You know uh, what that uh, Lenny Cohn, ring the bells, it still can ring. There's a crack and there was a crack 
But through that whole situation, things ended up to be just fine. Only 20 years later. <laughs> but even really from the time that I put the hat on in the bathroom and saw that I had been grabbing on too tightly and I needed to be not such a tight boss. So those are the two stories that I wanted to uh, tell you today. And one of the things that the lessons that I used to tell the meditation course folks, because I used to tell that story always in the meditation course, it was about when you're in a situation like that, to practice what we call the okay mind. So I've got the hat, okay. I haven't got the hat, okay. I've got the hat back, okay. <laughs> that kind of thing, that life, even our meditation practice brings us these kind of gifts for us to be able to have that letting go spirit and not getting too attached. Yeah. So when meditation brings up all kinds of things which you didn't have in mind, okay. Keep watching. And when it seems to be totally boring, okay, keep watching. Because our life always unfolds in the way of our bodhicitta, our spiritual longing, if we just keep going on with these things. And the world needs us to do that. The world needs us to do that. Eh? Hey. Hey. Times when you can um, just go to chanting that can allow you to have that okay mind in whatever the situation it is. Eh?